Well, this morning we're beginning a brand new series, and the series title is This We Believe. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at, as we move towards Palm Sunday, the four cardinal doctrines of the Bible and the four cardinal doctrines of the church. We're going to be examining, coming up next Sunday, how Jesus is our Savior. Aren't you glad for a Lord that is a Savior? Amen? He saves from sin. We're going to the second week. We're going to be looking at how Jesus is our healer, how he gave his back to the whips so that we might be healed. And the Bible says, and by his stripes we made everyone whole. The third week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to try to work this thing out on our own, that the power for living the Christian life comes through the help of the Holy Spirit. And then on Palm Sunday... When we think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on that donkey that day, and how they shouted out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we're going to talk about Jesus, our soon coming king. And so we've got a lot of exciting messages ahead in the next few weeks. But this morning, I wanted to kind of back up for a moment and uh, reaffirm our belief in the word of Almighty God. See, this Sunday, we're going to be examining the reliability of the Bible, which is the foundation for all that we believe and all that we have, that we believe to be true. Uh, it's all found in the scriptures and in the Bible. It's all that we build our lives upon. The Bible is our guide for faith and our rule for all conduct in life. We find that the Bible tells us how we treat our mates, how we raise up our children, what we should do with our grandchildren. It talks about how we should earn money, how we should spend money. It talks about all the important issues of life. And so we're going to take a look at the reliability of Scripture this morning. And uh, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And friends, this we believe. We believe that all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God. Now take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking at verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's the reason why that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, if you're reading along in the NIV, verse 16 reads this way. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Friends, never in the history of the world has there ever been a book that compares to this book, the Bible. While this book has been the most loved book of all, it is also the most hated book of all time. This book has withstood centuries of unrelenting, vicious attacks by critics, by kings, and by downright hateful men. It has been burned, it has been banned, it has been maligned, with the intent of removing it forever from the face of the earth. Not only has the Bible been physically attacked 
by those who are in high places of government and influence, it has also been challenged by the minds, the mouths, and the pens of philosophers and noted atheists. There's a theologian by the name of Bernard Ram that writes this. He says, a thousand times over the death knell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral possession formed and the inscription cut on the tombstone and committal read. But somehow the corpse never stays put. No other book has been so chopped, knived, sifted and scrutinized and vilified. What book in philosophy or religion has been subject to such massive attack as the Bible with such venom and skepticism with thoroughness and with eradication upon every chapter, line, and tenet. Let's look back in history for a moment. In the year 303 AD, the Roman Emperor Diocletian, he issued an edict in that year to destroy Christianity along with their so-called sacred book. Diocletian publicly burned the Bible and built a memorial over the site of the ashes, declaring that this day, this time, this place is the end of Christianity. History, however, tells us that just 10 years later after that, Emperor Constantine came to the throne, and Christianity was once again brought back as the state religion of Rome and commissioned the printing of Bibles Listen to this, at the government's expense. Or consider how the French philosopher Voltaire, a skeptic who destroyed the faith of many, he boasted that within a hundred years of his death, the Bible would disappear from the face of the earth. He actually went on to say that if you wanted to find a Bible, you would have to go into some museum and on a dusty shelf that is never seen, never used, you may find a Bible there. Voltaire died in 1728, but the Bible lives on. Now the irony of history is that 50 years after Voltaire's death, the Geneva Bible Society moved into his former house and used his printing press to print thousands and thousands of Bibles. As one has truly said, we might as well put our shoulder, try to picture this, to the burning wheel of the sun to try to stop it on its flaming course as it is to attempt to stop the circulation of the Bible. The Bible is still the number one bestseller in the world. Every single year, there's about 164,000 Bibles that are bought and sold every single day in the United States of America, 164,000. I think many have heard of the Guineans getting in international. They are men and women that are committed to taking the Bibles and placing them in hotels. You'll find them on board ships. You'll find them in hospitals. They're given out to sailors as they head off to sea, servicemen that go into whatever particular realm of the military they're in to make sure that before they go, at least they get a New Testament. They have handed out for the last number of years 
just about 60 million Bibles every single year. And I think we ought to give applause to our Gideons and our Gideon International. So friends, I believe that the evidence is overwhelming. This book is God's book. God himself personally has protected and guided his book through all the centuries of time. This book, think about it, it contains the mind of God, the state of man, and the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be saved. And practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilot's compass. It is the soldier's sword and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell are disclosed. Jesus Christ himself is the grand subject. Our good is the Bible's design and the glory of God its end. Read it slowly, fervently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It will reward the greatest labor and condemn all the trifle with its sacred contents. It is the book of all books. It is God's book. It is God's revelation of himself to man. God wanted you and me and all generations to know his heart, to know his mind, and to know his will. And as such, he placed it in what we say is the scriptures or the Bible. I want you to consider with me for the next few moments now the source of Scripture. Where did it come from? What are the benefits of Scripture? And what is the ultimate purpose of Scripture? So let's begin, and let's begin by investigating the source of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. King James says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. First of all, then, I want you to notice the all-inclusive phrase. It says, all Scripture. Not some, not parts, not pieces of it, but all Scripture has been given by inspiration of God or God-breathed. All 66 books from Genesis to Revelation have a common source. All Scripture has been God-breathed. The Greek term there is theopneos, or tos, which simply means the imagery would be that of an individual that is playing a flute. A flute as an instrument is incapable of having any sound apart from a skilled musician blowing through it. In this case, it is God breathing through yielded human instruments to pen the revelation and the very words of Almighty God. Friends, make no mistake about it. The Bible has a divine author, and that author is none other than God himself. As you read through the scriptures, you'll discover that there is a phrase that is used 2,500 times, and that phrase is, thus saith the Lord. It is found 2,500 times, letting you know that the words that are recorded 
are the very words and heart of Almighty God. Yet God used in transmitting the scripture to us 40 different human writers writing in three different languages over a span of 1,600 years to bring to us this incredible book called the Bible. Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1 with me for a moment. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. In other words, Peter is saying, don't think for a moment that the Bible just came out of the minds of men. Matter of fact, look at the next verse. It says, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but, man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God is the source of Scripture. And like God, His Word is just as eternal as He is. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God, and I change not. It says of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus does not change. And friends, I want you to know, in a world that is swirling with change today, much change, not necessarily for the good, but regardless, there is change round about. It is so good to know there's somewhere where we can go where there is no change, where it remains the same, that was perfect when it was given. You cannot add to it or take from it. It is God's eternal word. And so we find the word is just as eternal as God himself. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It says here, for all men are like grass. So the Bible says, consider your own life for a moment. As I read this, think about yourself, think about your family, think about friends you've had in your life. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers. We've all seen that. Summer, it's nice and green. Fall comes and begins to turn brown, and it withers and it dies in the winter season, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands how long? Say it, church. How long? Forever. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You see, as Peter was writing, he was writing during time of a lot of persecution. And there were many that were throwing in the towel saying, I'm not sure that it's worth, you know, hanging in there in the Christian life. They're coming against us on every side. And it was to that generation that he writes. And he says, I want you to understand that the promises you find in God's word, they're just as good today as they were the day that God penned them and gave them to mankind. So the Bible's source and authorship is none other than God himself. Now secondly, what are some of the benefits of Scripture? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says this, You have known the Holy Scripture since you were a child. Now you need to remember that Timothy was a young man that was a son in the faith to the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, and he says, you've known the holy writings since you were a child. 
I think that's true of many of us in the room this morning. We were taught as children some of the basic scriptures in the Bible. Many of us memorized John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Many of us probably remember, if nothing else, the one scripture, the shortest scripture in the Bible, and I think many of you will recall it when I call it out, Jesus wept. And so, many of us have a history just like that of Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you've known the Holy Scriptures since you're a little child. They are able to give you wisdom. Here's what the Scriptures will do now. They'll give you wisdom that leads to being saved from the punishment of sin by putting your trust in Christ Jesus. So the first benefit of reading the Word of God is the fact that it draws men and women to God and draws them to salvation. However, there's many other wonderful benefits. Four of them are spelled out in the very next verse, verse 16. Take a look at it, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All scripture is breathed, God breathed, or another translation, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. Now let's go back and just kind of pick them out one more time. First of all, it says it is profitable for teaching. Teaching that is right. What is right? What is the right thing to do? What are the right ways to respond when you are under pressure? What are the right things to do with money? What are the right things to do to gain money? How do you treat your family and your next door neighbor and all of these things? It is teaching what is right. But secondly, the Bible says there, it not only teaches what is right, it rebukes what is wrong. When you read God's word, sometimes it just opens your eyes to something new and you begin to see something new that's right that maybe you were not practicing in your Christian walk. And other times, it's a rebuke. It shows you what is wrong. And so the Bible says, the scriptures then, they began to teach us what is right, rebuking what is wrong, and correcting. Now, correcting simply means how to make the right changes to get things right. And so, we often talk about course correction. We talk about correcting, you know, a paper. We talk about all of these things, it simply means to bring it back into alignment of what is correct and what is right. So it's teachable, it is rebuking, it is correcting, and then it says training in righteousness, which means how to live the Christian life. So if you are reading the Bible, the Bible is showing you how and what God expects of his sons and daughters and how to live in this present world. And friends, the world round about us is not living the way this book tells us to live. Therefore, we've got to be very careful that we make sure that we take our cues and we take our direction from the word, not from the world round about us. Now, let me give you some examples here because I think that it's rather insightful. Apart from the Bible, I believe there's a lot of things that God expects of his children 
that we would never figure out at all if it were not recorded, guess where, in his word. For example, I don't think that I would have ever come up with the biblical principle or the life, you know, guiding principle of loving your enemies. I should hear every man. <laughs> Do you think you would have come up with that one all on your own? I think not. Or to do good to those that despise you. I don't think I would have come up with that one. Or forgive those that have hurt you. Forgive people who have not asked for forgiveness. You know, the Bible has so much to say about, you know, just a different style and a different way to approach life. And given a hundred lifetimes over, my guess is that I would not have and you would have never figured out these principles that are found uniquely in God's word of what God expects of us. See, the word of God teaches us what is right in the sight of God. And the word of God reproves us when we're in the wrong. And the Word of God brings correction, showing us how to redirect our thoughts, our actions, and how to make things right in the sight of God. I'm so grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is conviction and not condemnation. And again, let me show you the difference between the two. When there's condemnation, condemnation comes and says, look what you have done. Remember back... You know, there wasn't so long ago, like at a basketball game, if somebody fouled everyone in the stands and began to cry out, you, 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 you. Remember that? And remember how that player would feel, having been demoralized in front of everyone. That is exactly the way the enemy treats any one of us. The enemy will look at you and say, look what you have said, look what you have done, look what you have omitted, look what, in all these areas of life, and it's like that, you, 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 you. And there comes a feeling of hopelessness I'll never measure up. And out of that hopelessness, sadly, many have seen the only way out, because the devil will show them no way out, is to take their very own lives. Whereas the Holy Spirit, he faithfully will show us, yes, some of the same sins, the same point them out. But when he does so, he shows us the answer. That where sin abounds, the grace of God doth much more abound. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul says, of which I am chief of all. And so... When the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, yes, he will point out our failures, our faults. He will show us where we need to make course corrections, but he doesn't just sit there and point the finger. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, you know, you've been struggling in this area, and I'm going to give you help to be an overcomer. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come right alongside of you. I'm going to plead your case. And I'm going to help you so that you do not fall to that same old area of sin any longer. And so the Holy Spirit brings conviction. The enemy of your soul, the devil, he brings condemnation. Conviction points to salvation. Condemnation 
points to death. I am so glad for the correction that the word of God brings to us. I'm so glad for the training and righteousness that the Bible says that we can read the word and find out how do we live life the right way. You know, talking about things I would have never come up with. I would have never come up with the idea of letting somebody slap me on the other cheek. Slap me, slap you. Slappy, slappy. That's the old flesh, isn't it? The flesh is seen time and time again on, you know, the road rage, people being killed over absolutely nothing. The Word of God trains us how how to live right. Teaches us that before the sun sets, we got to let go of this stuff because during the night, it's going to just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The dreams, through sleeplessness, you'll wake up the next morning, and it's the very thing you were thinking about before you went to bed that caused you anger and resentment. The Bible teaches how to live right. So what is the ultimate purpose, then, of Scripture, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17? Let's take a look at it. So that the man of God, the woman of God, so that the men and women of God may thoroughly, thoroughly be equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. That means to be perfect, to be complete, to be set and ready for whatever you encounter throughout the day. Not only for the good works that God would want us to do, but to avoid the sin that would so easily beset us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And this we believe. Furthermore, we believe that Jesus alone is the way of salvation. That he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that Jesus is the healer of the human body, soul, and spirit. We believe that Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit and that we need not live our lives out merely by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and trying to do this thing in our own strength and our own flesh. We believe that Jesus is the soon-coming King and that all the signs that surround us They point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. Friend, I want you to know, you can go down a checklist. Wars and rumors of wars, check. Earthquakes in diverse places, check. Pestilences, check. All these signs that Jesus said, be watching for, looking for, because they're going to declare that you are very close to the very end. We can see it all around about us. And we believe that Jesus is coming again. We believe that he that shall come will come and in a moment will not tarry. This we believe. Now friends, in the interim period of time, I believe that we are living in one of the most unique moments of history. It would appear from what is happening all over the globe simultaneously over the last two months 
that there is a tug of the Holy Spirit and that God appears to be very near to those that will begin to seek after him. What we're finding in this generation right now is entering into the amazing presence of God is currently more easy than maybe it's probably ever been. Remember Jesus' words as he was ministering, whether it be in the streets of Jerusalem, his hometown of Nazareth or Bethlehem or anywhere else. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The thing you've been looking for It's at hand. Salvation has arrived. Healing has arrived. The kingdom of God has arrived. And as Jesus would walk through the streets, there was a day, remember, the woman with the issue of blood. And she said, if I can just somehow push my way through this crowd, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made everyone whole. And she did. And Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And the disciples said, how dare you say, who touched me? There's people bumping into you everywhere. Here's the difference. Jesus knows when we bump into him and when we reach out to touch him. And he said, no, it's not just a bump. Because out of me went healing virtue. Friend, I want you to know, We're living in one of the most exciting breakout of revivals I believe the world has ever seen. And I'll tell you why I believe it's happening. Because I believe that Jesus is coming soon. And he's calling in the final ranks of the redeemed. And he's beginning to polish his church. He is coming for a people without spot or wrinkle. He's coming for those that are 100% sold out. Say, I don't care about the things of this world any longer. I want to do things the righteous way, the holy way. I want to do them according to the word. I want to live according to the word. Here's what the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be what? Say it. While he may be found. What does that imply to you? That there is a time when he is very easily to be found and possibly another time when he will not be. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is what? Near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Church, we don't want to miss this moment. We've seen the most miraculous breakout of revival It's happening in our colleges and universities, both religious and secular. It's happening in Mexico in an incredible big way right now. It's happening in Central America. It is happening in South America. Friends, it's happening in Europe that has been so cold as ice to the gospel. 
It's happening in Africa. It's happening in the Far East and places where the Bible has literally been burned, where believers have been told you cannot gather as Christians. The wind is blowing. It's the wind of the Spirit. And I love what the Bible says. The wind, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wants to. No one will stop the wind. And he is beginning to breathe upon this cold planet. And you're beginning to sense inside your own hearts, there's, there's a hunger that's welling up. And that hunger is being driven by the Spirit of God. And he's calling us in. And it's never been easier to touch the hem of his garment. I told somebody yesterday, I said it was like Jesus was walking around the parking lot. And he was surrounding our building. We knew that Jesus was near and he was around. But friend, I want you to know, it's like he just came in the door. He said, I want to be near to you. I want to draw you. I want to get you ready. This world is about to see some things that it's never even dreamt was possible. God is on the move. I want you to bow your heads and your hearts. Father, Lord, this morning, how grateful we are for your words. Lord, we wouldn't know what's happening round about us. We'd have no cognizance of, of where this thing is headed if it were not for your words. Lord, as we look and see the nightly news and we see weather that's gone crazy, California with feet of snow, Lord, to see the tornadoes and this early a part of the year and coming through Alabama and all the way through Tennessee and Lord, we see the destruction of homes and lives and cities. Lord, you tell us that when we see all of these things begin to take place, even the persecution of Christians like that of the day of Diocletian, that we ought to, rather than going about moping and looking down, we ought to look up, because our redemption draweth nigh. Lord, I pray today that we would respond individually and corporately to this call of the Spirit. You are near. The kingdom of God has come. Lord, I pray that we'd understand it in this moment, you're polishing and preparing your bride to be in your presence. And just as some would say, oh, it's, it's all the same. It's just a recycle. We've seen all this before. Oh, maybe so. But then again, this might be the last and final. And I'm not going to bet my life on it. While the Lord is near, I want to call upon him. And I pray, oh God, there'd be a holy transformation. Lord, as we begin to align ourselves with the Word, the Word is our guide for faith, but it's also the rule for our conduct. It's how we conduct our thoughts and our actions, all based on the Word. Even when it seems out of mind crazy 
to forgive someone that abuses, someone that's vile, even when it seems like it's crazy. Lord, if we put your word into practice, we'll see the miraculous. I pray, oh God, that faith would arise. Lord, to believe that with God, all things are possible. Relationships that are ready to be given up on. Lord, you're about to do a miracle. Lord, to the one that's had the diagnosis and the doctors say we can do no more. Kind of waiting for the moment where you finally would say, Lord, I'm in your hands. This is in your hands. Lord, whatever it is, we know that you're bigger, you're better, you're greater. Thank you for your word. So we can know that as we base our lives upon these principles, they're unchanging. With heads bowed and eyes closed, somebody would say,